By staying home, you can not only protect your health and that of those around you, but ensure that our healthcare professionals and our healthcare systems can focus on those who need their help. Hello and welcome to Corona Movie Club, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, so we have a schedule of movies and we're all going to watch them independently in our own socially isolated homes and then three times a week we're going to get together over the internet and talk about them just like your mom's old book club used to do. Um, except now there's nothing old about it because it's all over the internet and we're all social isolating so that we don't help spread the coronavirus around the universe. Um, so we have people from all over North America who are participating and there's going to be different people on each call from the uh, core group. And so every episode, I'm going to come in and introduce the film that we're going to be watching, as well as the names of the people that are going to be on that week's call or that episode's call, because we're going to be doing this three times a week. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy. Let's go to the movies. It's something to do. Hey guys, today we're getting to talk about one of my, we are getting to talk, I'm getting to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, My Best Friend's Wedding. Uh, this is the sort of movie that gets a reputation as being like a really fun, lighthearted rom-com. Um, a lot of them were being made at the time, a lot of them starred Julia Roberts, they all have that sort of pink color palette that was used around the marketing of this movie. Um, but this movie is so much more than that. It's a lot darker than your average rom-com. It doesn't have a happy ending. It's, well, it has a happy ending, but it has a complicated ending. Um, it's, a, it's a complicated movie. It's got a really dark protagonist. It's got complicated women throughout. Uh, I just, I love this movie so much. I could go on and on about it. And if you listen to this episode, which you are already doing. Um, you will notice I do say a lot about this movie. Um, I talk way too much in this episode, so I'm just going to leave it at that for the intro. Hope you enjoy. Hi, sorry, one more thing. It's me again. Um, I forgot to tell you who else is on the call, uh, which is ridiculous and also so egocentric, which makes sense because again, I do all the talking on this episode because it's like my favorite movie in the whole world. Um, but the other people chiming in on um, the right side of this actually surprisingly fiery argument about my best friend's wedding, um, on the side of the correct people, is myself, Kelly Bedard, Nicole Falgu, and Steve Vargo. On the far more skeptical and therefore wrong side, but still valid, I guess, um, we have Alex Uriarte, uh, Matt Yipchuk, Susan Bond, and David Armstrong. So I hope you guys enjoy. I actually am done talking now, uh, so enjoy an hour of me talking. Okay, bye. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, so sorry. I strongly believe that all the sexiest men can appreciate a rom-com mm -hmm. because it's not the genre's fault and it is like ridiculously gendered that they think yeah. that they look down on them because this movie is extraordinary mm -hmm. um oh, best of a, the genre he's a and he's a rom-com guy so there you go if you can't appreciate an extraordinary rom-com then you're just as bad as people who won't can't appreciate an extraordinary I don't know, like, horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So I'm like, I'm here for it. I'm going to admit something right now, which is that I did not rewatch this movie, and I have not seen it since the 90s. I actually sat oh. down to watch it with my roommate, and we had to turn it off, so. 
did why not. did you did you have to turn it off for other reasons or because your roommate no, hated it so much yeah he hated it and i had so much empathetic embarrassment that i was like it's not worth trying to push through so oh I'm, I'm mostly interested to hear about it. We're going to fight Susan Bond. Wow. Wow. <laughs> While Kelly and I like love watch it it's, every single day. I want to um, hear about why you love it. I call I it my through. second favorite movie of all time. But then every time I watch it, I'm like, is it my first favorite movie of all time? Oh. Literally, maybe. That sounds um, like a totally internal struggle. Yeah, that's the sort of thing I worry about. Fine. Can, can we start the episode with Ready Okay? <laughs> oh my god Ready? okay okay we should and hope in the like it's got like a five minute opening you just yes. have to sit i fast forwarded through that like <laughs> no. that's the best part no. of the movie yes. no. Absolutely. What? <gasps> wait hold on matt did you not like it either i i liked it slightly more rewatching it today than i have in the past no, that it's it's one of the best opens for sure. Yeah, the opening's great. Okay, okay. The sing along in the restaurant is great. I like when there's music. I like when there's music in this movie. Breathe, breathe, Kelly, breathe. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to start with the people who don't like it because once I get started, it's going to be like a monologue and you're not really going to feel like you're able to argue with me because I'll yell at you and hate you forever. So I'm going to let you guys go first for your get out all of your criticisms so that I can then rebut them. Okay, and go. So I'm going to say, I'm, I'm not going to say it's a bad movie. I wouldn't say that. I'm saying I didn't enjoy it because I suffered empathetic embarrassment because I did not find the main character likable, despite the fact that she's played by Julia Roberts, one of the most likable humans working in Hollywood now or ever. Okay. Yeah. I adore, the, I adore this movie. My criticisms are that, I mean... That has got to be like one of the absolute worst maid of honor speeches on the planet. And I actually love that she's <laughs> unlikable. I don't. I think that they're all terribly unlikable. But I I enjoy that tremendously. It's better than you know. It's better than the inauthenticity of of having purely likable characters. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think only kind of uh, uh, she in the like just in this situation like i i'm i'm still so surprised that we like her i have no idea when i get to the end of that film i'm like why am i why is this is he chopping up or is it just me yeah he's having some audio issues dave can you say that again Sure. Yeah, I, I, I was just saying that I, I, I think only Julie Roberts could have pulled this off because, uh, like, I don't understand why I have empathy for her at the end of this film. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm literally clueless as to the mechanism in the film that, that makes me uh, kind of side with her at the end. Because I, I, it, 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 it defies logic. Like, I understand that, you'd be, you know, eating a, a hot dog on the side of a uh, train station and stuff like that. That makes sense. Hmm. You're, Dave, you're cutting out again. I don't, I don't know, but I think I'm just going to talk over him. Um, okay. 
And who hasn't gone yet, Matt? Yeah. Did Me. you have? Okay, go yeah. ahead. Okay. So for whatever reason, I decided a couple months ago that I just wanted to rewatch it, which was my first time rewatching it since it came out and I was however old, like nine or 10. And in that rewatch, I was not super impressed. I just remember spending the whole movie thinking like, Julia Roberts is just a horrible person. Cameron Diaz's character is kind of obnoxious. Dermot Mulroney is either clueless or just like a manipulative bastard. I don't know if I can swear on this, but I did. And then sort of in the rewatch today, I liked it a bit more. Also, when I go back to things that were made sort of in that time period, I don't have much patience for kind of the tropes of 90s comedies, just where like stuff will happen and then just really like telegraphing um, soundtracks will start up, like really upbeat, lively things just to kind of force a certain mood on me. I don't have much patience for that. So I kind of went into this anticipating that that was going to happen. And then thinking of a, thinking of it as a movie where sort of all three characters are anti-heroes and going into it with that perspective, I liked it a little bit more. And the more I watch it, the more I sort of appreciate Cameron Diaz's character. Because my one big memory from watching it when it came out and I was too young to sort of get what was happening was that she was just way too peppy and really clueless. But now I just love that she's not at all clueless. She's just trying very much to keep Julia Roberts as close as possible, like as a keep your friends close but enemies closer kind of perspective. And I think that's brilliant. And I think it's really well acted. But yeah, it just it's hard to get over a lot of the things that Julia Roberts' character does. Like the email, I think it's just kind of where it goes past the point of no return for me. Like Dur Dermot, Dermot is right. She's like the scum that's on the scum of all the scum. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is that it? Is that everybody's criticisms? Are you done? Okay. Um, I like when the movie has music. I okay. really like when there's music. And, and, and the fact that the restaurant is called Bury the Kudas. That was, <laughs> that was a highlight for me. That's yes. not, I have seen this movie like 27 times. I've that's probably an underestimation. Probably like 100 times and I've never noticed the name of the restaurant ever in my life. Um, Nicole, would you like to go first or should I? I've been waiting for this rant for a very long time. So I will yield all of my minutes to Kelly. <laughs> Guys, go for it. <laughs> you are so wrong about my best friend's wedding. <laughs> so wrong. So completely wrong. Okay, so there's like, I don't even know where to start. There's so many things you're wrong about. First of all, I'm just going to start technical. Movies like this don't happen anymore. Like mid-range, but like fairly big budget, shot on location, on film, like big studio rom-coms with like legit actor. It just doesn't happen anymore. Like this film is shot entirely on location in Chicago and it's amazing. They shoot it O'Hare, it's crazy. I also do love the soundtrack. I, I accept what Matt's saying about some of the 90s stuff where like the soundtrack a little bit um, tells you how you're supposed to be feeling. And also that applies also, the 90s trope stuff applies to some like hijinks kind of things that are, Certainly, it follows an established structure in a way that is very much of its time. Um, but I'm also a big believer in placing a film in its time and understanding that it was the 90s. And 
um, sort of some of the tropes that come along with that. What I think, and specifically it's a rom-com, which is, are like famously have this very conventional structure that they all follow. What I love about My Best Friend's Wedding, I think mostly is the way that it defies or builds upon or almost works against our expectations using the, stru the structure that's established. It's an unhappy ending. I love that. I think I love that she doesn't get what she wants in the end. Um, I love, like, normally we would have this sort of straw man character in Cameron Diaz, who is an airhead and is clueless and is kind of nothing. And she's built entirely to annoy us so that we're rooting for Julia Roberts. But this movie won't give us that. They, in fact, she's one of the things that Julia Roberts says about her early on is that there's nothing annoying about her perfection. And that's completely true, and, which is also something I completely relate to. Like, I don't know if you have these friends. Um, Alex, for example, is one of them who's just like so great that you're almost like, what is, what? I don't get it. You should annoy me. You're so great, but you don't. And that annoys me more somehow. Like, it's just so relatable to me, <laughs> this idea of this woman who frustrates another woman because she like can't understand like what is the flaw she's just awesome and I understand that and I think I think this movie is so special in large part because Cameron Diaz is such a great character um I think the karaoke scene is my favorite scene in rom-com history um and I okay so this is sort of a long explanation I'm sorry I'm just gonna rant at you for a while guys I actually have like a screenshot of that scene printed out and on my bedroom wall is how much I love this scene. Because what you have essentially is our anti-hero who I think they do a really beautiful job of, yes, she's horrible, but we stay with her and we get her. And I think she does, they build in enough empathy and enough self-awareness that I don't think she's irredeemable. I think she's, she's very flawed, but she's very human. And, um, but she, one of the things she does, that's like the, the, early steps of her badness, if you will, is she finds out that Cameron Diaz's character, Kimmy, doesn't, can't do karaoke, she can't carry a tune, and Julie Roberts harnesses all the information she has about Michael, which is another thing they do beautifully, is um, they perfectly build the relationship between Julianne and Michael um, without with barely any screen time together at first. Like they just establish it beautifully with like her interactions with her dad, with his dad and his little brother. And they just establish a history really effortlessly. So we understand that like Julianne knows everything about Michael. And so she's then harnessing that, which is like her superpower within this story to try and take down this other woman. She sets her up very meanly. This is a very cruel scene. And then Kimmy just like, selflessly dives in even though she's scared and embarrassed she does it anyway and she told she's terrible she doesn't like have some sort of secret amazing singing ability which a lesser movie would have given her she's genuinely bad but she wins over the entire crowd in the restaurant and michael is completely immovable and it's like the scene that proves to me the strength of that character and the the f and and justifies in the end him ending up with quote unquote the wrong woman because she's our, not our heroine which I can't think of another movie where the person ends up with the person who's not our hero um, but in that scene we learn who the better woman is and then it's sort of this whole journey towards Julianne figuring out 
um, how to live without this person that she's defined her life around for so long. In addition to that, it's also just such a beautiful, complicated portrayal of friendship. And I also think that um, the movie is best understood if you kind of let go of this idea of Julianne genuinely being in love with Michael in like a romantic way. I think the better reading is that it's about possessive behavior and um, her having to let go of something she's always been able to count on, that she's always been able to fall back on, but, and has always taken for granted and that she's losing that and she's freaking out. And I don't think it's so much about her wanting to actually be with Michael. It's about her wanting to have him for herself. Um, and I think that that's a fundamentally selfish motivation. And therefore, when we see all this bad behavior, it makes sense because it's not she's doing terrible things in the name of love. She's doing terrible things in the name of herself. And in the end, she learns that lesson and learns and does the ultimate like good act of letting him go. Um, and then at the very end, he comes back and he gives her a hug so that she knows she hasn't lost him forever. She just, he's married now. And I think it's just a beautiful, very complicated thing that plays with romantic comedy tropes and then turns them on their heads. And it's just a much more complicated and beautifully made movie than um, many others in the genre. And I could go on forever, but I've already talked for like 10 straight minutes. And, um, <laughs> but I could seriously like sit down with you and like watch beat by beat by beat through this whole movie and be like, and that's what makes it amazing. And that's what makes it amazing. And that's what makes it amazing. Okay, Nicole, I think you should talk now. <laughs> Hi, Steve. By the way, Steve Hi. Fargo joined us in the middle of my rant. Lovely rant. <laughs> Why, thank you. I'm obsessed with this movie. Do you like this movie? <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. Okay, actually. good, because yeah, everybody else hates this I... movie, Steve, oh, and it's upsetting. <laughs> I, I think there's a couple cheesy scenes, but I generally really do like this movie. I love the chase scene. I love the, like, it's, it's a fun movie. Guys, I like Steve Vargo best, other than Nicole. Nicole is also right about this movie. <laughs> also because Rupert Everett is like a gift. Yeah. A gift. Oh, yeah. I, I could watch the movie for Rupert Everett. Mm -hmm. I also think that character is remarkable. You have to remember that this was one of the very first times that that archetype showed up so it wasn't as tired at the time and every gay sidekick that has come after that like the gay best friend trope is built on top of George so it's not quite the same it's I don't know he's got an OG thing and I, I love that he has his own life he, she's always interrupting him during like he's at poetry readings and hosting dinner parties and we have this sense that he is this full person and we're only seeing him through the, the very shallow window of her um and I think that he's one of the great best truth telling like put her in her place best friends ever um and one of the fun ironies of this movie is that it does have one of the great best friendships I've ever seen mm -hmm. and it's not the best friendship of the title but yeah no it's it's so good guys come on <laughs> oh what what I like about all of all of the characters, it, and now hear me out, it, it reminds me of The Sopranos. I don't know if any of you are as big a fan of The Sopranos as I am, but Tony Soprano, I was down for Tony Soprano. The ending of The Sopranos murdered me and I didn't sleep for like a year. But Tony Soprano was not a good person. Julianne in this movie is not necessarily a good person. Dermot is not a good person. The only possible good person in an act of self-defense is Kimmy, and, and then also George, although he's an accomplice. But we can have <laughs> empathy 
we can have empathy and still root for anti-heroes. I think it was you, Matt, that mentioned the anti-hero thing here. Uh, and, and, and still want them to win because annoying people are annoying. Uh, but um, what is, what, there's nothing worse than being boring and annoying. I'd much rather a bad, interesting person who's relatable and authentic than a perceived annoying person with not a lot of nuance, which is how Kimmy presents herself initially, but she's got much more texture towards the end. Uh, and and that and that's that's why I kind of like this movie, and, and it's also awful that I see myself in all of these characters, so I like fiend off of it a little. But uh, it's it's it it is interesting for all of the reasons that you like it. Did she no. cut off? The theatrics of the scum of the scum of the scum. Um, no. Yeah, you cut out there a little bit, but I think that the recording will pick you up because it'll get the audio from your side. Um, I think this movie also uh, deconstructs a little bit our idea of there are good people and bad people. I fundamentally don't believe that there are. Um, so this idea of like nobody's perfect, like Kimmy's pretty close, but nobody's a good person or a strictly bad, like this movie doesn't have villains in the way, like there's no weird external one-dimensional force Who's, who's trying to impose things on the main characters and move the plot along in a really film 101 way, the conflict comes up organically from our characters that we care about and we're following because this binary of good and evil, it's more complicated than that. And I really appreciate it. And I also will admit, like you say, you relate to the characters. This movie is literally about like a loudmouth, big haired critic. Um, like loves baseball and has a straight male best friend and like it's like a thing for me okay guys this movie <laughs> um but i don't know it's you realized so how much it was you until you started actually discussing <laughs> actually. how it was and but we just had a whole thing about how she's terrible so now don't, <laughs> don't do yeah but like okay so make her less terrible and more fun and giggly and happy and generally pleasant to be around, and she becomes you. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is also it's only this is three days in this in this character's life. So yeah, and three terrible days. These these three days <laughs> might happen anyway. Mm. I I really I, what I really liked about this movie was following Julie Roberts' arc, like really feeling the way that like I felt the same way that she felt towards Cameron Diaz. Sorry, I'm, I'm not familiar with the character name. Um, but like, I was like, she's she's a weird, rich ditz, maybe, perhaps, like at the, near the beginning. And then slowly you start liking Cameron Diaz. And that's what she gets mad at, that she starts liking her. And like, that's, I think I felt like I was on her journey through this whole movie um, and felt the same way that she was feeling towards other characters as well. And that's what I really liked about this movie. You guys, Steve Vargo knows what's up. <laughs> I, I mean, there's there's cheesy moments. That whole restaurant scene was, I'm like, when the person started playing piano, I'm like, come on. Yeah, uh, th I that's one of those weird. It's, it's, yeah, it's, so it's a fun. scene. I it is it, so fun. I'm, I'm just like, it's yeah. very contrived and, you know. It's, a, it's one of the weird situations of this movie that, like, that's the famous scene that everyone says is their favorite, but it is... Like, if you're looking at the film with a little bit more depth, it's one of the weaker scenes in that it, like, it, it's totally implausible. It sticks out like a sore thumb. It's cute, though. It's really fun. It's memorable. It's fine. Rupert Everett. Yeah, I mean, he's awesome, <laughs> right? But I think he's awesome. Like, I love, I love 
like the scene in the chase when he's on the phone and he says it's like nobody is chasing you like that his truth teller scenes are for me what um are really remarkable and so he does have this like cute little very famous scene in the middle that is you're right steve fairly cheesy <laughs> but it's the 90s it's fun it's a fun movie <laughs> i let it slide i do have one criticism that i'm curious about all of your opinions and especially kelly's since criticism's not well received here about this movie okay. <gasps> <laughs> how dare you i'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> It is, so it is the 90s, and there's a very clear comparison of what is the ideal woman as represented by Kimmy, and then this like flawed, kind of tragic woman represented by Julia Roberts, and um, how a guy like Dermot, who is, you know, has his own thing going, is like really handsome, but kind of dopey, or whatever it is that he's trying to be. But the ideal is this Kimmy, this bright, shiny, intelligent, um, enthusiastic girl who is like as sexy as Cheerios, and then you have, and also, and also brilliant, you know, big-haired, loud-mouthed critic who's like, like seething with charisma and and complexity, uh, but she's like somehow the bad guy that we root for. And I took I took exception to this because I know Kimmy's and I know Julia Robert types and I know the women in between but the binariness of like here's julia roberts wearing you know you know Saks fifth avenue and then you've got julia roberts in the gap and the ideal is still kimmy and she wins in the end uh and i i i'm not exactly sure that i i, I that message settled well with me in the end although nobody rocks a crop top cardigan like julia roberts i will say that oh yeah that is an iconic <laughs> shirt <laughs> um i have absolutely no problem with that criticism i think that's very fair um, I especially do resent the idea, like, I don't love, it is such a thing, the, like, loudmouth girl, right? Like, the, the sort of chatty, stands up for herself, big, the big personality girl, um, and the criticism of being, quote-unquote, too much, um, right? That it, That is a thing that certainly runs underneath this film, but I almost think that, especially at the height of Julia Roberts, it, it's not quite... I feel like this isn't the film where that's the most problematic. I think if you place it in the larger pattern of film history and then how that leaks into life and how we treat women who are quote unquote too much, I completely agree with you. As a participator in that trend, it's not awesome. This movie, because I like so much that you're built, you're supposed to underestimate Kimmy and then you pay the price for underestimating Kimmy. I think that that's almost like they're using that trope to their advantage in a way. Um, and also that she is like legit hot and like, I'm sure, you know, and she rejected him in the beginning. Like this idea of like, he's been in love with her for nine years. I don't get the sense that if she had come out a year, like six months ago and said, Hey, Michael, I'm in love with you. I don't get this idea of like, oh, the overlooked best friend who's like the loud, funny, like girl I can relate to. And then the perfect little girl in the corner, I'm going to actively pick the girl in the corner. What you've got here is more of a like, that archetype. Yeah, she is a participator in that archetype, but she rejected him for so long and she wasn't comfortable with sure. the icky love stuff. And then um, he wanted someone who was like going to be more affectionate and like 
actually reciprocate his feelings, which I do think even though there's lots of claims in this movie that like, oh, she's in love with him now and she just never realized it. I still don't think she is. I think she's getting possessive and weird. And I think that she never actually loved him the way he deserves to be loved and in the way everyone deserves to be loved. And I think that that's sort of um, an important, but I do, I totally accept that like certainly in the larger landscape as a participator in a a negative trend, um, this is, it's not a great look. I wholeheartedly agree that it's less about, um, it's less about him and much more about her wanting him to herself. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, it comes from a place of she can talk herself into, oh, well, I know his favorite color, so I'm clearly, I'm clearly the one meant to be with him. I'm clearly the one that knows him best. Or literally every, she knows everything about him, and it's very, very clear um, to such a degree that I think she confuses that with love because I think that she loves the idea of it. Mm-hmm. I think she likes the idea of love, but her, her idea of love is all, also part of this like preconceived if we're not married by X amount of time. And that was the, that was a precipitating factor to all of this was if we're not married by a certain period of time, then we give it a go. Mm -hmm. And she's not on the same timeline that he is. So she's missing out on this. So that's one issue. But then on top of that, she feels like um, she's almost entitled to him because they have this deal, quote unquote, um, so it becomes a, a two a two part issue. She becomes possessive because it's part of the deal, and she becomes possessive because she wants to be on the same timeline. Yeah, I think the use of the word entitled there is very much the point, right? Like this idea of she had him like on reserve almost. Like she could always fall back on Michael, so she could do whatever she wanted. She could like date people for two, three weeks at a time, and she knew she'd always fall back on Michael. And then the other side of that is she had this emotionally fulfilling, emotionally intimate relationship so that she could, and if you have one of those, it's really, and it doesn't have, it's often not a romantic partner. You see this with people who have best friends who are maybe like a little too close, uh, whether they're, you know, straight male, best friend, straight female, whatever. Like if you have like a gay best friend or a female best friend who like, if you're, if you have this emotionally intimate relationship in your life that you can lean on and that fulfills that need for you, it can mean that you don't, look seek that out in romantic relationships and then you end up with like a separation which is why she keeps having these sort of serial sexual relationships but she doesn't need a real relationship because she's been leaning on the emotional intimacy of michael but then not actually reciprocating what he needs in a romantic relationship to be fulfilled and so she's been really selfish about it for 10 years it's not just in this three days she's being really selfish this whole relationship is built on her selfishness because again, she's really flawed. I will say the one the one thing I hate about this movie is the ages. It's like if we're not married by twenty eight thing, and Kim is twenty. That I always for, ignore it. I just age them up in my head ten years so that I feel better about it. Because <laughs> it's just gross. Was <laughs> my one of my issues rewatching it was uh, I think the last time I had rewatched it was when I was twenty eight, mm. and I went. Ouch. Just ouch. Because I'm like, I don't feel old. Like, I, I don't. I don't feel old. I feel very like I've accomplished a lot, but I sit here going, I feel like a baby who is kind of out of place. So as a 28-year-old, 
watching it, it was kind of strange because I was thinking to myself, I know a lot of people who would rather not be married right now. Yeah. Imagine being a 30-year-old who's a lot less close to marriage than you are. <laughs> no, it's way worse. Imagine. Yeah. I can't possibly imagine. I accept that. <laughs> I accept that. Um, but I mean, it, it's still, it's bizarre. It was, I was coming from it from a, let's forget about my Michael for five seconds and just kind of see it for what it is. And, uh, you know, when, when the most adulty thing that I have at 28 is having a job and a puppy, I was like, I don't think I would be okay with this kind of, if we're not married by 28, life is over, we must be dating. Okay, we can have this conversation about your life and the like check. You are like, you have a whole filled checklist. It's actually ridiculous. She also has a house, guys. Like, come on. No, 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 no. <sighs> the house is not yet built, and I'm oh. 29. You're building Sure, you're sure. This is crazy, though. Oh my God. What? This is, yeah, no, this is not, yeah, come on. However, <laughs> however, is, even if now? you're wrong right now, you are right about your life. You are right about. 28 being an absolutely truly crazy age to make your like if we're not married give up and marry each other age that should be like at least 40 right and, I, I and that's 40, only i had yeah. a 40 thing with a friend did you really that was so long ago i we hardly talk anymore oh wait okay yeah. but what ha are you gonna get back in touch if you turn 40 even just no, as a joke no i i really think that's it's over like it's that was a childish <laughs> thing. well now would you be willing to go and i feel like my friend would, would the be podcast. Like Sorry, say it again. Would you be willing to go through with it for the sake of the podcast? No. <laughs> That's always the right Kelly. answer. If someone says go through with something for the sake of a podcast, no matter what it is, say no. But it has to be an equivocal no. A uh, no? Oh my God. It, 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 it's a no. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think the twenty eight I think the twenty eight thing has to do with Julia Roberts's age, and there was probably something in her contract that she couldn't play older than she was because it would hurt her career. Blah blah blah, like a lot of that kind of technical stuff. Because twenty eight not only is a weirdly young age, but it's also a weird age. Like, why not just pick thirty? Twenty eight's very random. Mm. So I think it's probably something about that. But I also hate that I hate that Kimmy's twenty. Like, it's just really upsetting to me. <laughs> Yeah. And she's so clearly not. Yeah, I think she's only like a couple years older than that, though. Um, yeah, this was really young Cameron Diaz. It was, but it it still the character just she doesn't I, feel that young. Yeah, I think that they could have they did it so that she was giving something up and like not going back to school. But I do think that they could have found another way to do mm -hmm. that, like have it be grad school or have it be a job or right. whatever that she's giving up to be with Michael. You could have picked something. So that she didn't have to be 20 because I don't, I hate, I hate age differences like that in movies. I hate the power dynamic. I hate, like Alex was talking about with the archetypes, like I hate, in, you, you can have an individual film where it happens, but when you put them all together and you've got the overall trend, it's, you know, it's hard to blame a single movie for it, but like the overall trend of the age difference really gets to me. Um, so that's probably my least favorite thing. Watching it now in 2020 is kind of interesting because you have like Kimmy who like in her like Lily Pulitz her life 20 years old isn't old enough to drink but is old enough to like get married and make decisions and power play um Dermot and Julia Roberts but watching it now in 2020 like I'm a horrified because I've 
my sister, my twin sister just got married. And I'm like, whoa, child bride, are you sure you're ready for this? <laughs> you know? And then I, I think 20 year old, like, what are we, what are we advocating? What were we advocating for in the nineties? And also like, what are we advocating for now? But that brings me to these weird age things. 28 is like a forgettable age. I think we're all fixating on it because we're all roughly in that, that thing. And it, and it strikes a chord with us, but I show it to like one of my aunts or my uncles they're, they're not they're gonna be like oh yeah this is like a movie about living in new york in the 30s or chicago in the 30s or rather in your 30s uh right it wouldn't necessarily stick out as much to them because it's easy to age them up a little bit more than what they are yeah you just ignore it just in your head they're like 40 it's fine i'm yeah. pretty sure my southern family would be really on board with the married by 28 thing though that's true if it was set somewhere else it'd be fine like i yeah. don't remember the age in sweet home alabama but i feel like that's fine but this is, this is explicitly chicago oh they were it, right out of high school in sweet home alabama were they really oh, no yeah, yeah no, well no. no not not in the flash forward portion oh, okay no they got married out of high school i think yes they got married yeah. at yes mm-hmm. i don't know that's oh, one no, I've, I've seen once it has been uh not so subtly insinuated that I'm a spinster because I'm 29 and not married. So trust me when I tell you, New Orleans would definitely view this as completely normal and not at all problematic. Okay, I'm going to get on a conference call with your family. <laughs> we, need some, we have some things to discuss. You're going to need a drink. <laughs> I, feel like her be- oh. I, say, I feel like her being 20, though, is in some ways a good move because then it gives a bit more justification to Julia Roberts' character for her wanting to stop the wedding so that we can just like not go into it right away thinking you're making an awful move. Like if we can sort of understand from a logical uh, stance why marriage is a bad idea because she's so much younger and because they've known each other for so little time, then I think that sort of sympathizes us as an audience to Julia, even though I don't have much sympathy for her otherwise. I think they do a really good job of showing us that she has it completely justified in her head. So even if it's not justified at all, she genuinely believes, at least for the first two acts, that she's doing the right thing. She knows him better than anyone else in the world. She knows what's best for him. He can't be trusted to make his own decisions. She's too young. She's like, and then she'll be like, well, oh, she's leaving school to be with you? That's ridiculous. That was my thing. Right? There's all these ideas in her head where she's managing to, like, because no one believes themselves to be the villain, right? So that makes totally tracks for me that she has everything totally justified. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it really does bother me that Kimmy is quitting school or not going back to school because of all of this. It just, it, it, seems a little rough to me and I'm somebody who absolutely adores this movie um that she can't have both mm-hmm. it's like she's very clearly a smart woman just innately um but then you have the this trope of well that you have to be a housewife then you have to give something up for your relationship well no the really really good ones bolster both people so why not allow him to be successful and her to be successful and neither of them have to quote unquote give something up? Yeah, I don't, I just kind of don't understand that part of the movie, to be honest. Like why, I mean, I guess it's because he's on the road for his job and she doesn't, they don't want to be apart or something like that. But yeah, you're well, right. It doesn't still, quite make sense. I mean, the even then, so go on the road with him if you're not going to go back to school or like, well, I think that's the idea is that's what yeah. she's going to, that's why she's quitting is that's what she's going to do. Yeah, but, even that I'm like not crazy about. 
I don't think I follow mine. Yeah, which tells you that this which this tells you that weddings and marriages don't like don't really mean anything. It's all about <laughs> your relationship. It's not yeah. about the wedding. And that's what I sort of also liked about this movie is that although it's about a wedding, um, they don't really touch on the wedding that much. Um, and it's, it's it's all about the relationships. That's a fantastic point. Is that we don't yeah. actually really we see the less important parts of a wedding, like we see her trying on her bridesmaid dress. So we see the wedding from her perspective, which is barely at all, because I don't, I mean, she, her end game is that there won't be one. So she has these very, very light uh, associations with the wedding. But then when you actually get down to brass tacks, she runs away from it in a bread truck. (laughs) So... Yeah, Dave, you looked like you were going to say something. Uh, no, I, I I totally agree. I think we we almost we almost don't see like like any of the a lot of the ex, any of the family extended family like the whole thing is kind of just shut down to moments in in over these four days. I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> do you guys think it was wrong? Like we know that Julia Roberts did some dubious things, but do you think it was wrong at a high level for her to shoot her shot? with her best friend who has, in a haste, decided to marry a woman entirely too young for him. Yes. I think, wow. I think the sabotage <laughs> is wrong. I think the honesty is not necessarily wrong because he needs to know. Fair. I mean, I think that she's wrong in her assessment that she actually is in love with him and that's the problem because what's really unfair is to stop his wedding by saying she's in love with him and then dump him down the road, um, which is what I think would have happened. But if she really, if you want to read this movie as she really did realize she's in love with him, I, I think he kind of has the right to know that um, because at the moment he believes that that's not an option. So he's purposely moved on. I, but the I sabotage is a real problem. Yeah, I my issue. There's this, oh, go uh, ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's, um, uh, sorry, I forgot what I was going to say. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, my issue is it does actually become sabotage because like she steals the wedding ring, puts it on her finger, yeah. and then has him lick it off. He does that himself. He does she it, yeah. Hey, but it's hard to do weird. that. That wasn't a necessary thing. That was weird. Yes. That was was it a little bit sexy? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I was very upset about it. <laughs> but that's the moment for me where I'm like, this son of a yeah, Michael's got some real boundary issues too, yes. which I think comes from like a lifetime of, not a lifetime, but like 10 years of them not doing a good job of maintaining the boundaries of their relationship because they've never had to because there was never someone relevant on either side. Whereas like people who genuinely have these kinds of friendships in like a healthy, realistic way, it's very important to establish like boundaries like physical boundaries like he's not allowed to see her naked even though that's a thing in the movie where he's like i've seen it a thousand times having those healthy boundaries whether you either of you has a significant other that's relevant or not is would would make this relationship but again we're building this whole movie on a fundamentally unhealthy relationship with like bad power dynamics and so he's just used to seeing her naked and not being a big deal or like looking like taking the ring off with his teeth he wouldn't think that's weird because they have zero boundaries right that was one of the um the uh sorry um the i i think the i think her 
she was very desperate during this whole three, four days. And that that's what really pushed all of the bad things that she did, that she was pushed and forced to face this, this thing that she hasn't been really facing. She's hoping that it would just fall into place. But this is, at this point, she has to actually face this and figure it out. And she's doing this all as things are happening, like, in time, and she's making so many mistakes. Big time. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it does stem from those really bad boundaries, because before, when she's, it sounds like their relationship has basically been, she has a bad idea, he rolls along with it, kind of like Lone Ranger and Tonto type deal. Um, I'm telling you right now, my better half's best friend is a woman, and there is no world in which I would be okay with the, with the Michael um, and Julianne relationships if it were Mike and Jamie. Like, there, there's no way I'd be okay with it. Um, so I think the fact that this is coming up is incredibly important because it shows just how toxic the underlying friendship is. Um, and it, I mean, if I, somebody who absolutely adores this movie can look at that scene and go, Oh God, just stop it. Stop, get your mouth off of that. Like then, <laughs> then we got some problems. That's, that's actually one of the, I thought it was actually one of the great qualities about Michael is that he just absolutely is in the moment with everything he does in every scene. It's just like, he takes everything that's coming his way at face value and he, he kind of reacts based on how he feels at that time. Like nothing else comes into his decision-making process. And I thought that was kind of why he was such a, a likable character. I too um, enjoy that he takes things off with his teeth. <laughs> I also think the the sort of simplicity of Michael is important, right? Like he's yeah. not this perfect guy. He's not like this super dreamboat. We actually almost like get that represented in George, who I know is gay, but there's this like... He goes to poetry readings and hosts dinner parties and he's so sophisticated and well-dressed and he can sing and he's just perfect. Whereas Michael is like grubby and he snorts soup through his teeth and he's just like imperfect. He's kind of this mumbly, I always call him sort of like fake Sylvester Stallone kind of guy. He's got this weird, like he's not this ideal, but he's her Michael. And that's what's happening in, in her head is that he's I like that he's not an ideal and I like that he's not super complicated um, and we don't we don't really see that too it's it's weird like we don't actually see his bad the weird habits that he has they never show us that so we're not we don't really uh get to experience it we just hear it hear about it right and we hear it through everything that we hear about him is coming through the lens of what Julianne thinks about him or what Kimmy thinks about him. True. Right. Yeah. It's not about him. He's not important. Right. That's what I found very interesting is that it's almost like instead of, um, you know, the super masculine, I'm entitled to this woman because caveman, um, instead becomes two women who are exerting their ownership over one man. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that dynamic um, for, for what it's worth. I thought that that was interesting to have the gender roles almost switched a little bit um, and that the caveman fights were more women. So I froze up briefly. You just froze up again. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um. <laughs> Kelly. Sorry. Um, does anyone have... Uh, yes, Alex, say something now. 
Dermot is Bennett from Love is Blind on Netflix and this is not a vibe, okay? I am anti this. I am so anti this. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. wait, 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 hold on. Explain yourself. <laughs> oh no. Oh, she keeps freezing. If she can. Come back to us, Alex. Okay, Matt said true, though, yes. That's you the best ex- analogy. You explain why you think she's he's Bennett from Love is Blind. Because Alex oh, was frozen. It's true. Just watching Love is Blind, like, I was just floored thinking, like, what is so great about Bennett that, like, these three <laughs> women are just obsessing over him when he's just, like, the most generic, like, blah, whatever human. And then it just felt like that started to get into his brain. He started to manipulate that, like an awful person, kind of like Dermot Mulroney. He's well, I just not feel like awful. Okay, he's maybe just he's not awful. You like, broke he, Kelly. I, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they're just so all of his all of his interactions with Julia Roberts are just so subtextually. I feel devious. It feels like he's constantly just still flirting with her and it would be so much easier i feel for her character even to let go if she didn't think that there was something there to hold on to and he's constantly i feel like dangling the carrots in front but, of her but what 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 you see as flirting i think is what uh kelly alluded to is as simplicity like i i think i think it's just him being very very like straightforward those you know you always know what you get with this guy no, you don't. He stuck his finger in her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> they there's feel all, like she, he's always scene. done that. <laughs> also the boat that makes scene. it worse. <laughs> Sorry, go go ahead, Steve. The boat Sorry, scene. The boat scene, like the like they're dancing. They're very close. There's it. It is. I I think it is very. It would be very confusing for Julia or misleading in some way, um, that he's giving her this sort of part of him that maybe he shouldn't be. I agree that he yeah. shouldn't be, but yeah. I think that the the important thing to remember about their power dynamic is that it in this particular context it's being portrayed as he has the power cuz she wants him and he she doesn't have him right now, but for 9 years before this it was the complete opposite of that. He wanted her forever and she always had the power to turn it down. And so all of these things, like the dancing with her and being too close and like that, that's just ingrained into their relationship already. Um, and she tolerated that when she shouldn't have, um, when she should have shut it down in the 10 years previous. And so then we're seeing um, their relationship as it's already established. Are you saying, sorry, I'm just being clear. Are you saying that he's being this way because he's bitter or just because this is what they have they built over many years. Oh, no, I don't think it's like a revenge thing. Right. I think okay. it's no. literally just this is their dynamic. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important to establish, like I always say, um, even if both of us are single, all of my straight male friends, I like keep the boundaries exactly the same, whether one of us is taken or not, because it's really difficult to change them after... Um, like on the dot when something changes because you have someone has a significant other or something you have to establish something and keep it the same all the time because it's really difficult to change an established dynamic poor puppy oh alphaba i also think it doesn't help that uh he 
I think, yeah, some of the flirting is the quote-unquote simplicity, but some of it is just like an underlying personality thing. As Kelly, I'm sure, can attest, I was that in college. So it's interesting to see, especially now that I've grown out of that phase and have been with my partner for almost four years, um, how you have to ass assess what your boundaries are. And sometimes you have to make those executive decisions because you've been friends with somebody for 10 years and this is how things have gone. And then all of a sudden, boom, it changes. And you're perhaps not at the right, most quote unquote grown up stage of your life um, that you both have to do some growing up. And I think a lot of that growing up didn't happen along the way. And I feel like a lot of people's parents were doing that because they were, I, I would say my generation, uh, our, our generation, um, if our parents were married at a very young age, early 20s, um, like mine were, um, like they, they were very young um, and they made mistakes, they got divorced. That's why my mama has the two year rule now. <laughs> oh, I'm serious, it's a rule. We're not allowed to get married unless we've been dating for two years and have either A, lived with somebody or B, traveled with them. Because that's when you see so. all oh, yeah. aspects. Like Mike knows I'm certifiably insane when I get on a plane. He knows it. And it's because like year one, we took him on a, on a trip and he is still here. And I'm like 87% sure it's not Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> So <laughs> yeah, you, like you have to, you have to be with someone like when they're sick, see how they are when they're sick and then see how they yeah. are when you're sick. Exactly. Like there's, there's so many different things that you got to go through. Um, and yes, uh, around a year, at least I, I would say living oh, yeah. with someone, living with someone. Oh yeah. It's yeah. very interesting how many times this guy does the dishes. <laughs> the most <laughs> successful relationships that I've encountered in my humble 31 years of living, I have make two or three friends who've all met and married their partners within s between three and nine months. No, oh. no, that violates the rule. Yeah. <laughs> but, they've, uh, but they've, but they've all swimmingly, they're all getting along swimmingly. And hmm. it makes me, it makes me uh, insane is to put it light. I'm happy, but also confused. Because it doesn't, it doesn't fit within the model. That I have. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it could be luck, or it, it was like they they felt it. I mean, I think it was Tinder. Pardon? I think it was Tinder. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> That'll do it too. But I mean, that's it's interesting to think about it from that perspective too, because it's like, I it even more solidifies what Kelly was suggesting, where you're not really entirely sure that you're in love with somebody. She's not entirely sure that she's in love with Michael or we're not entirely sure, but because she's known him so long and knows all of these things, like what he's like when he takes, when she's sick and he takes care of her or what happens when he's sick and she takes care of him because they have this pseudo relationship going and that's kind of what we're seeing. And then him and Kimmy is kind of what happens with Alex's, you know, slightly misguided friends where, you're, you know, it's all going. Sorry, go ahead, Nicole. Oh, I'm like, where it's all going swimmingly. But do we all know what it means to be in love? Is that, is like the, are we starting from the same platform? Like, do Dermot and Julia all have an idea in their head 
about what it means to love someone that's beyond like, you know, charisma and chemistry and sex and all that stuff. And also very sensible underwear because Julia Roberts really <laughs> hits it out of the park Amen. in 1993 in this movie for that. <laughs> but they may not have like the same template for what that means, but maybe Dermot and Timmy do. That's very accurate. I think, um, I mean, definitely Julianne doesn't have it. No. Definitely. Julianne definitely doesn't have it. They, they might not all have it, but I mean, that's pretty, it's still pretty real that this would be happening with people that don't know what's going on. Like, so even like if we're talking about if they know what love is, I, I guess that's, I would just say that's sort of irrelevant, but it is a point to make, mm -hmm. um, but it's irrelevant to the story that we just watched. I mean, it's, it's just, I don't think the movie's trying to say this is what love is and all that. Sort of I, I don't think it's that on the nose, but I think, I don't think it's quite like a, it's not like Snowpiercer where you, you had the idea, you had the central theme shoved in your face multiple times and like, this is about class systems. This is definitely like, <laughs> yeah. it, it is very nuanced in how people feel or express love, right? So like, we already know that it's not really necessarily being shoved in our faces that we're trying to figure out if what, what love is like, that's not necessarily, at least in my mind, the central theme of it all, but we are definitely getting subtle hints of what it means to her, which is kind of like a, I could pass a Buzzfeed quiz about Michael. Uh, we definitely get where, where it, what it is for Kimmy, where it's, uh, I would literally give up everything for him, including but not limited to my future. Um, and then we have what it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, Alex. <laughs> this has turned into Nicole's Even the commentary is like the narration in my life about everything. But <laughs> it really, it's just Probably. bizarre. Probably. And then we've got, we've got Michael where it's like, uh, well, she's hot, she's blonde, and she's totally in love with me. But then we got this one who has complexities. And this is charming. So I'm confused. Um, so it, it, I think we see love in all of its different forms. We see it as we see it as lust. We see it as um, this false love, where it's we we see all the Greek loves here. We see agape. We see eros. I just got really into Greek history again. Um, but we see it in all of its forms here, and I think that that's even though it's not supposed to be an in-your-face theme. I think it's definitely evident. Can you guys hear the pots and pans that are being banged outside of my balcony right now? I cannot. A little bit. Okay, because I'll mute myself, but it's not, now, it's not bad. Now is quarantine hour, and we are supposed to go out with our pots and pans. So. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Kind of like New Year's. Okay. It, yes. That's a thing New in Philly for New Year's is that we go out and we bang pots and pans. I don't know why. Nice. We all just seem a little bit crazy. Oh, for Cubans, we do it when we're just feeling things. Oh, okay. <laughs> Will you adopt me? Because that's Any day. the thing I need to do to express myself. Come, come to Miami. Yes. All right, guys, I'm moving to Miami. <laughs> right now in the middle of quarantine. I'm sure that will go over well. Kelly's back. Hi, Kelly. Uh, yeah, sorry, hey. I was cleaning up a mess. <laughs> uh, but I was listening. I unplugged my headphones so I could I could hear you guys talking. Um, 
Nicole, at the end, you were, I like, I loved what Alex brought up about the idea of like, everybody in this movie is maybe defining what love is differently. Um, which I think when we're discussing movies, we do have a tendency to forget that that can happen. Like we have this idea, like I was saying, oh, I don't think she's really in love with him, but like that's different for everybody. So maybe by her definition of what love is, she is in love with him. It's hard to say. Um, but Nicole, you said something along the lines of like Michael thinking that like Kimmy is like it's mostly lust or something. Like it was like she's this simple sort of blonde girl. Um, and that's what's appealing. The idea of like what we were talking about earlier with the archetype of the perky blonde girl who will follow him anywhere. And I do think that's there certainly on the surface of Kimmy, this idea of like, she's a lot younger, she's rich, like all of the superficial appeal of Kimmy. Um, but something I find really telling, and I don't know if this is in the script, like the bones of the movie so much, or if it's just something that Dermot Mulroney decided to play. But if you go back and watch the greatest scene in rom-com history, the karaoke scene, um, a lot of the scene is just him, like it's a, just a close-up straight on his face. And he plays just like, if you were try if the aliens come down and they ask us, what does a guy in love look like? That shot of his face watching her sing really badly in the karaoke bar is it. That is the direction. <laughs> I don't think that that's lust at all. I definitely think what he feels for Kimmy is love. I think it's just set up in a way that where Julianne is trying to um, come to terms with everyone else's definition of love instead of her own most important internalized definition of love. Because let's be honest, hers is the most important to her. Um, As everyone's is to them. Exactly. To themselves, right? I think that uh, if she's looking at it from the outside in, she could view it as a lust type situation. And that's what I think what they're going for. Um, but at, at the same time, um, it's very clear in that scene. Like that's a guy who's just flat out proud of what he's got is he's just looking at her with a smolder. Yeah. And not just cause she's hot. It's because she's, interesting and she's doing this embarrassing thing and winning everyone over and like it's the charm it's the perseverance there's like a lot going on in that scene that speaks to her character and I think one of the elements of Julianne's arc in this movie is learning to understand that there is more to the relationship between Michael and Kimmy than she initially thought like she starts out thinking oh this is this girl in this archetype who's silly and she's definitely less substantial than I am and it's definitely just lust. They barely know each other. And then by the time they get married, she's learned to, or she's been able to see enough of that relationship that giving him up is something she can handle. Um, which is just like, it's not the whole story for her, but it's definitely a part of what's happening over the course of the film is learning to accept and see that relationship for the complexity that is actually there. I think that also speaks really strongly to their relationship that 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 moment where she just kind of accepts it and lets lets him go could only be brought on by something this strong i think it would have to be like if it was just a fleeting thing and he he seemed like he was in puppy love or it wasn't all that strong i think she'd have a much harder time of it um but because she just flat out you know 
accepts it and moves on. I think she realizes just how strong it is. Mm. Possible non sequitur, but possibly not. Have you guys heard of this um, series of questions? It was popularized in the New York Times a few years ago, and it's 36 questions. Yeah, I see Nicole nodding her head and David possibly. Uh, 36 <laughs> questions to fall in love, um, and you're supposed to do it with a stranger. I asked, asked my best friend these questions the other night. We were really drunk and playing Mario Kart. Um, and it didn't result in love, but it did result in expediting a con conversations of an uh, intimate, and I don't mean like, like, like sexy intimate, like just, just intimate um, uh, that, that we don't otherwise have. And it makes me wonder if in the movie, Dermot and Kimmy were able to get to that place because Kimmy while annoying and so sugar goddamn sweet um, is, is vulnerable, right? Like she is a snail out of the shell, right? Absolutely. That's and a so, really good point. Yeah, so that's something he brings up multiple times is this idea that like she's open to him in a way Julianne was never open to him. Right, she's a strange shooter through and through. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like with your friends who are, who have gotten together really, really quickly and have successful relationships. Like, I do think there isn't a timeline that everybody has to be on the same timeline. Certainly this is a dumb example, but there are a lot of really successful relationships between people who were in the big brother house together, um, which sounds really stupid. Or if you're a bachelor person, there's a lot more successful relationships from Bachelor in Paradise than from The Bachelor. And it's literally just the amount of time you spend together and then the lack of anything else to do. You end up having these like long, intimate, detailed, vulnerable conversations. Um, and it speeds up the timeline. And it, it, it enforces that emotional intimacy really early. And it's funny because uh, those 36 questions you mentioned, Alex, Mike and I actually did them at the start, the very, very start of our relationship to the point where I'm not even sure he remembers. No. Oh, we did. We, we oh, did. yeah. I like distinctly have, remember, we were literally, I was still living with my mama and we were on, out in the sunroom having these conversations with me and like my phone scrolling through them all. And we were having these lengthy conversations and he was so patient and so earnest in all of his responses that I went, huh, he can deal with my crazy. This might work. Did you did you do the part where you stare into each other's eyes for yes. four minutes uninterrupted? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my god, that's terrifying. Also, yeah, but like, but now think it like four years later. I it's we're very very strong. So like it's it's gotten to the point where, uh, like he he just knows me inside and out, and I know him inside and out. And I think a lot of that is because we made it very clear very very early on that above all we were going to value how we communicated with each other and doing these questions and him dealing with my oh my god let's try it yay love um is kind of what spurred that on so 10 out of 10 <laughs> would do 36 questions again if i wasn't planning on spending my life with him i remember staring into someone's eyes in, in, a, in a theater workshop or something just another random actress and how was that? Please, I, I remember please tell me. I like avoid you, that you do, you do get a, a connection. You definitely do get a connection just looking in, into someone's eyes and a stranger's eyes. Like there's definitely something that you get from that. But I don't remember who she is now. 
Yeah, I've, I've been doing a, I've been doing a couple workshops where they've where they've done that exercise, and inevitably, like at least one or two groups, of people start crying. Oh yeah, like all the time, and I've it's it's always surprised me that like that people get such a visceral reaction from eye contact. Oh, well, I mean, I so I think only really Kelly knows this. So I tried a a foray back into acting, um, and I tried out for the last five years, and we ended up doing callbacks. And one of my scene partner for the two songs that Kathy and Jamie sing together, and I literally did not stop staring at each other. Like, did not stop at all in either song. We were singing at each other, um, both the next 10 minutes and Goodbye Until Tomorrow, I, I Could Never Rescue You. Um, even though we're across the room, we're staring at each other. And at one point, I actually did start, like, tearing up or you know, having this huge ass smile on my face, because that's just how you feel when you are connecting with somebody in that deep a capacity. And I had been basically staring at these guys, eye, this guy's eyes for, you know, 45 straight minutes. So it does become a very, very deep connection with somebody. It's beautiful. I like it. And yet someone on the line doesn't remember a woman or, or sorry, partner, whoever, whoever it was that <laughs> I, what? Amazing. I'm fascinated by this entire topic. <laughs> As am I. Thank you for bringing it, up, bringing it up, by the way. I really like this. <laughs> you guys are great. This is an awesome conversation. You guys, my best friend's wedding is full of depth. <laughs> so I, much we, there. We, we, we talk bring about it, like, the direction at all. Or, or, the, or the wardrobe. Why? Like, that's not the point of this movie. I mean, it but is it's shot so, it's so on location. in the 90s, you know what I mean? Yes. It's just like, like on the female side with all like the high waist and seats and vests. Oh, there's the big suits that I don't really fit. for all of it. I live for it. <laughs> I hope the 90s are here to stay. I even got one of those weird little chokers that were popular. I wear high-waisted everything. Julia Roberts is God in my world. She Amen. is. I desperately miss her curly hair. I can, and, I, and I have a, I've always wondered, is during the 80s and 90s was she perming her hair or is she chemi did she chemically straighten it in the 2000s Which i get a feeling it was the, i think it was the curly because it would be very difficult to keep that going to chemically so, straighten it it seems to be naturally curly it's like big i feel like that that's a hard big to get I don't it know. is. It's got a really natural messiness that I feel like didn't happen with perms. So mm -hmm. at at which point I put her in the Carrie Russell Taylor Swift category of people who I am mad at for straightening their hair. But yeah. there, there's lots. There's lots of hair. Like I feel like more hair than somebody could potentially have. It's it's full of air though. I think her hair in this movie looks very real to me. Air and manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> it's so big because it's full of lies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. Now we're entering the early aughts. Um, it, it seems naturally curly, but there's something else. Like, she's, there's some product in there as well. Oh, there's for sure moose yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I've always wondered that. I miss I miss her, her curl. And she had, like, red hair in this era. There was a real... I love... If we want to talk about, like, the costumes and things, I love the way specifically like her hair and her how she's styled everything works together with her character to me that I think is like really like that scene where she's there she's chasing them through the through the party and they're like she's from New York she really looks yeah. like there is a real vibe that is very different even though Kimmy's just from Chicago like that's not that different <laughs> but she's from a different sort of social circle 
There's something about that crop top that is very New York. I like how haphazard Julianne's hair is. It looks beautiful, but it's not managed in any way. If you tried to comb that nonsense, it would just be a mess. Um, like there's something really, really cool. And she wears very little makeup in this movie. I love, I love the purple dress. She, she wouldn't be uh, comfortable unless she was distinctive. Like she just makes that, a lot of sense to me. I love how the comment towards her being in New York was not snobby with these the, this rich people, this rich uh, family. And I love yeah. that that was always a comment on this family that it was actually a really good, wholesome family. Yeah, they were a good family. Yeah. Everyone in the, there are no villains in this movie. Yeah. Like it, it would have been very easy to make the rich people snobby and ridiculous and the, the sort of creme brulee metaphor very like, ooh, but creme brulee is actually just like the snobs. But no, like it, they're a lovely, really accepting, good family. Um, which is why we are able to have the ending that we have, because otherwise it would feel weird. Um, but yeah, there, it's a villainless movie, guys. It's a <laughs> beautiful portrait of humanity. <laughs> Did we, have we talked about just the direction at all? There's a lot of great things that I, I think are, I see in television right now that, that is very popular that was going on in this movie and just like focusing on that third, the third person during the, the most important scene. Uh, Kelly's most important scene. <laughs> um, just like focus, focusing on Julie Roberts. Of course, we are following her story too, but there's a lot of that. We're seeing at the corner of the screen, her, her reaction, that sort of, that happens a lot in like TV dramas right now. And, um, but also just like something fun, like her in the elevator and just pointing the camera at the edges of the elevator to give her the point of view of her. I think it's just like a nice touch that you didn't need to do as a director, but I think there's a lot of great choices being made. Yeah, I think it's a really well-made movie. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then that, that uh, funny Paul Giamatti cameo. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't really a cameo, right? Because he wasn't that famous but, yet. No, he was just like yeah, a guy, he, yeah. He had, he had hair. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene. It's That's so, it's scene. like beautiful and subtle and, and really, really sad. Um, which I, like I love in my rom-coms, just like a dose of just straight up sadness and self-loathing and smoking on the floor of the hotel. <laughs> Great. I, I, I felt for the, the customer service, I felt for him being a customer service kind of uh, employee at, and like wanting to take a smoke in the middle of the hallway. Like I really felt that moment. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, like you deserve this even though I don't condone smoking, but I'm just like, you Like you deserve this moment. So you're, you're saying that she, she helped him as much as he helped her. <laughs> yeah, just like, I, yes, yeah, he let go. He let go of the rules, whatever, you know. And I'm proud of the PSA, by the way. <laughs> it feels very there, <laughs> and I'm here for it. Protect everybody, Steve. <laughs> what happened? What did I miss? Oh, you're, the don't smoking is oh, bad. Oh yes, 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 smoking. I'm just sitting here yes. going, I'm here. For I just, it. I, I just, I know, I, I know people that smoke, and it's the, it's the, sometimes you just need it for a relax, like just to, if you have anxiety, whatever it is, some people just need it. Yeah, but the, also that. like the the customer service detail of yeah. like her asking him, "Do you smoke?" as like, "Please let me smoke." You need to understand my plight, and him just being yeah. like, "Yeah, but there's literally nothing I can do. It's a non-smoking floor." That helplessness of yeah. like, I understand, but also I'll lose my job if I let you do this thing. Like that's like a tiny detail, but it it felt 
real and relatable and just kind of like sad and frustrating, which is what that scene is all about. And that's the sort of thing that like, they would have cut that from a lot of films. Like it's not an an important exchange, Um, but it it uh, sort of is. It certainly is thematically. I think it adds a lot, but it's not um, in like a film 101. That beat is not necessary for moving the story forward. And I love that it's in there. Oh, yeah. Also, that shot that happens next where she falls into the back door. In, and back into the room, like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Like she's, it's like she's pulled out from the narrative for just a split second. And then and there's some ash, some ash in her hair. Yeah. 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 That they yeah didn't she's just co- a mess the whole, the whole like, movie. I love it. When they came back to her, she, the ash was still there. I'm like, that's, that's great. They could have <laughs> took, took it out, did, did another take. But no, they kept the ash there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this one has run over an hour talking about, guys, the best film. I love this movie so much. <laughs> um, I'm kind of glad we started with people not liking it that much because I feel like maybe maybe me, Nicole, and Vargo triumphed in the end. <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you all hate it and you're just appeasing me. Um, but uh, we should probably sign off because it's been a long one. Um, does anyone else have any final thoughts on my best friend's wedding? That you need to share. There was a deer, and I don't know where it went. Just before the gobo, the gobo gazebo scene, there was like gazebo. a deer in front of the gazebo, and then okay. it was gone. Fair enough. I, I I don't know. Have any? Did any of you notice that? No. Have you ever noticed that while watching? I have, this? I've never noticed. Like at the end when she's confessing her love, there's a deer. No. Uh, yeah, like in the in the gazebo before they start chasing each other. There's like in, in the gazebo? Just before, just before they get to the gazebo, you can see the gazebo in the background. There's a deer there. Well, this is why no one films anything on location anymore, because of the deer. I thought it yeah. was purposely there. We would see a cute dirt deer at this rich kind of thing, but... Okay, like they put, like they hired deer for atmosphere? Yes. Hired deer. What's the running rate for a deer? <laughs> hey, I bet if it's in the movie, the deer probably did have a wrangler. And cost quite a bit of money, and it was like a whole I, thing. It might have just been like just a wild deer, but because we didn't see it after that, so that's why I was just like, "Oh, okay." Maybe it was just in the shot. What happened? Could go either way. Yeah, that's I don't know. Fun little Easter egg. I don't know. <laughs> it was a metaphor for the wildness <laughs> of Julianne's heart. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, anybody else with anything else to say about the greatest romantic comedy in the history of film? The restaurant scene is totally underrated. I don't care what any of you say. <gasps> oh, no, I wholeheartedly agree with you. It's charming. It's just not for me. I'm with Alex. And Cat. I think the opening is brilliant. So The Agreed. opening is so long. It's cute, but it's so long. Why so is it like five minutes? It's because it deserves to be. Because it, because yes. Yeah. <laughs> If I was in a movie theater, I would enjoy that, the beginning more, uh, that, that opening more. Sure. But and like in the at, 90s, at home, that was like, more of a thing, right? Like yeah, the opening yeah. title sequence that isn't like part of the movie, really. Yeah. That was more normal. But at home, I'm, I'm just, yeah, like, it's good, let's go get over it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that'll be it for today. Thanks so much for calling in, guys, and indulging me in my ridiculous love of this movie. Originally, we were going to talk about this one on the day that the awards thing was canceled. It was supposed to be happening, and it was canceled. And I purposely planned it so that, because in case I was sad, um, <laughs> because I love this movie, and it always makes me feel better, makes me happy. My 
this is the first movie I rem- I vividly remember seeing in theaters because we went for my brother's birthday to see Men in Black, and I saw that first scene where they blow up the alien, and I was horrified. I was like eight years old, <laughs> and it was terrifying, and I was miserable. And so my mom took me across the hall to whatever was playing across the hall, and it was my best friend's wedding, and it saved me from the aliens. Oh, so it- that just melted. Why me. does that not <laughs> surprise me? Even a little, like down to Scott. <laughs> like needing to see men in black and like the whole thing Wait, but did scott amazing. even enjoy that movie like that is like he's so highbrow now i know <laughs> I'm, ten. I'm like imagining <laughs> the guy who has to like go through this whole process of searing steak now oh <laughs> dear this is a battle of the women who know my brother they were, they were in, they, they, were, they are in suits though so they are in suits. You would appreciate that, guys. I actually, he was 10 at the time, but I do think <laughs> if we were to message him, Scott would probably tell you he still likes Men in Black and he would still be wrong in the assertion that it's any better than My Best Friend's Wedding, which I saw instead. It's, it's Men in <laughs> Black. Can we please movie. test that theory because I would find it hysterical. Okay. Well, that's what we'll do. All right. Yes. Well, I'm off to message my brother about his thoughts on Men in Black. Uh, thanks so much for calling in, guys. I'll talk to you later. Bye, guys. Bye. This is Bye. Fun. Thank you, Kelly.